Welcome on, thank you for tuning in to the Battle Emergency Podcast, the podcast focusing all things pro soccer in the DMV and across the U.S. My name is Jose Omaña, sports writer for the Sports Pulse, and joining me as always is our co-host, Mario Maya from the Tiempo Latino. Mario, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing wonderful, man. It's glad to be back after taking a week off. Yeah, we took a week off because Mario was going to be out of town, and I prefer not to have too many headaches. So... That's why we took a week off, but we're back. And what a way to come back. DC United still unable to score. DC United playing Sunday night. They've dominated offensively for the second straight match at home. Out shooting the Philadelphia Union. However, it was not enough as they lost 1-0. Mario, what are your thoughts on United? You know, all this talk about making home a fortress. At the start of the season, we have three straight home matches one win and only one goal to show for it. You can only be off target so many side, so many times on one side of the net. Uh, they created the opportunities. It's just finished product was not there, and that cost them dearly. I think for the most part, they they played a really solid game. If you're gonna lose, uh, they, at least they went down swinging. But alas. You got to address the elephant in the room that's called the finishing touch on the final third, and it's just not there right now for DC United. Yeah, you know, I'm. I was watching the match, and I felt very impressed on the overall product. I was happy to see what they were looking like offensively, the way they interconnecting passes, the pressure. I mean, look, I'm just. It's been two straight matches. I think, yes, offensively they look great. But Orlando and Philly in particular, you saw more organization to the attack versus the sporadic running around with the head chick- with the chickens with their heads cut off mentality we saw in the first couple matches. I felt like it was a little more organized. You saw the pressure a little more. But And we'll get to Russell Knauss' words in a second. But um, they had a couple of holes in the first half defensively. They hadn't had all season. Frederick Briant did not start today. I mean, Sunday night, uh, no reason was given, but I think it was more or less trying to balance, you know, he'd been playing all season, balancing the minutes, and really wanting to see Donovan Pines in the second half give Andy Nahar another look in the back line. And I think overall, the whole defense, minus the one play, played well. But as Russell said, there were a couple of lapses in judgment. Right, and I think just the one lapse in judgment that led to the Casper Shabilko goal towards the end of the first half really ended up costing the team. And not to say that defensively they're not sound, but you know you have to work on little mistakes, mistakes like those because when when you make these kinds of mistakes that lead to a goal, some teams like Philadelphia who have a really sound offense will make you pay for it in the end. And that's essentially what happened there. But other than that, I think the midfield looks solid. Paul Ariola has looked really good since he's come back from from his injury. He ha- he looks like he hasn't really missed a beat. Yeah, that also he was named captain for this gate for the gate for tonight's or Sunday night's game. Uh, I think one of the other things that it, that I think wasn't much lacking and it didn't affect them as much as at the end was the early injury, early subbing of Edison Flores, which I hope he has a speedy recovery from whatever that injury was, but that allowed him not to come back to the game. 
let's see if this is Russell Knauss. Too many times we, we gave them top uh, time on the top of the box. Obviously, they were able to capitalize on that one, and then we go down 1-0 again. Um, it's frustrating because I think we had a first half, a good first half, and we actually created a lot, you know, and that was one of the positives. We were able to create a lot of chances. Even when we go down, the team stuck together and, and came out and worked hard. Um, I'm proud of every single one of the guys, the guys who came into. Nobody hung their heads and everybody was ready to give give their best effort until the end of the game. So I think, you know, I'm sure Coach already touched on that, but everyone played their butts off until the end of the game, which was good to see. That was Russell Canals from D.C. United. Second half, team uh, went to Ola Kamara instead of Adrian, uh, Adrian Perez, who's been really been a revelation of sorts. And, you know, I'm going to be honest here. I've been hearing feedback from fans as well as just watching the games myself. You heard me at the beginning of this year. I gave the Ola Kamara experiment five matches. We're now seven matches into the season. The dude has yet to score or will score in more proficient rate. Yes, Rebecca is still hurt, supposedly. We haven't gotten really an update on his condition since the first couple of weeks. But it, it's just frustrating to see that this guy is, you know, I'd have to pull up the MLS Players Union roster to see. But this guy was originally one of our DPs and is not producing the quality enough of soccer that is needed to be, be covering that kind of money. I don't like telling clubs how to spend their money, but at the same time, I do have to say, well, we need to cut an experiment short. I am done with the Ola Kamara experiment. He is not even a good backup striker. He's not good at starting, and he's terrible at the backup role. I'm done with it. You know, I thought that Hernan got, you know, the Edison Flores injury did mess everything up. Those who saw Orlando saw Edison be more free, probably his best game in a black and red jersey without scoring. But I I honestly did feel that they were missing some that goal, and that's what he was brought in for two years back. The production's not there. And, you know, we laugh about talking about the past, but you know what? We were quick to cut off Danny Alsop. We were quick as heck to cut, you know what I'm saying? We were quick to cut off all these strikers that, that weren't producing. The yeah, only I one I could think of that stood stood by the longest was probably uh, Rod Dashenko, but he was a bench player. He was always a role player. He was never a guy that you depended on striking at a as, as your number one. And so when I see a guy like Ola Kamara, who's had starts, has come off the bench with enough than 20 minutes, he is not producing at all. It's 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 kind of frustrating. So to answer your question on salary-wise, I kind of looked this up real quick. Ola Kamara, uh, this was for 2019. His base salary was originally about 240000 It's most likely gone over to 500000 now. It, but again, these are figures from about a year or two ago. I don't know how much of that has changed. But, yeah, I agree. I think Polo Kamara did not create that many opportunities. He tracked back. I mean, I appreciate that, that he did that at the very least. But, yeah, you're not producing the goals that you thought you you should be producing. And at the at the pay rate that you're giving him, that you're paying him, it's not worth the, it's not worth the money. Uh, so, 
Yeah, maybe once Nigel Roberta, Roberta gets healthy, maybe we'll see him in the starting eleven, which is also weird. But also, I gotta give compliment. I gotta credit where credit is due. Adrian Perez has been playing really well. He he's been balling in the last games that he's been giving a chance to start, and I think he's proven little by little that he is can be an asset under Nam Lasada. So. Who knows? I think the striker situation needs to be worked out now. Like you said, we're seven games in. I gave it five games. It's not working out. But I'll give it a couple more games, given that Ola Kamara didn't start the first two or three games of the season. But that's just a that's a me, me kind of a thing. Again, what this team lacked last night was that final touch, that finishing touch. There are so many opportunities that they had. They just couldn't finish. And in particular, the one that was a little bit infuriating is they kept throwing crosses and heading the ball to the left side of the net and just kept missing that left side of the net against Andre Blake. So all in all, I think the finishing needs to work, needs to be worked on a lot more. You've heard me. I have no problem with the way the team is playing. It's just the goals that the team is missing. And it's and it's kind of disheartening because you hear you hear fans, you know, I have two fans at this house, aside from myself, and, you know, you hear them talk, and their frustration is, look, they can play great, but soccer games are won with goals. We had a lot of goals with Rooney here, and Lucho here, and, 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 and I'm seeing that in the comments section on Twitter. I'm seeing that a lot on the, you know, with just DC, just DC Night fans in general. It's it's kind of maddening. I understand that, but at the same time, it's like you keep repeating yourself, and not maybe I'm just the optimist here, but I keep looking at this team and I can't help but be excited for what I see. Maybe that's just me being a media member. What do you think, Mario? Is the media being too nice to Hernan? Had this been Ben Olsen, we'd be calling for a firing, or? Or are we being too nice and the fans are being overly critical? Or are we all wrong? I, I, I guess it's a little bit of both. We're being nice because this is Hernan Lozada's first few games as the head coach. I think we're also being a little – I think fans are being a little overcritical. Uh, he, he said it repeatedly, Rome isn't built in the day. So, But, you know, again, fans are now increasing, getting increasingly restless and wanting a little bit more results now. I think for me personally, I think the team's playing extremely well despite the results. I think the one issue I've had, and I think I've had it for the last two or three seasons now, or the last two seasons, has been, you know, finish the finish the final finish on the third in the final third. Finishing in the final third, I think it's one thing they've always been lacking. And I think they've got the role players to do it now and Adrian Perez and, and I guess Eric Sorga to an extent. But just that main striker is what you're missing. And I think that's the one thing they definitely need to work on or, or try to find if you're going to look for it in the transfer market. But all in all, I think as media members, we're being a little bit nice and not being as objective as we want to be. But also, I think fans need to calm down a little bit because, again, this is just a start of a brand new process. But I, I mean... I can't blame one side or the other for whatever optimism or pessimism you have. Me per and me, my personal opinion, I think the one thing that I'm still like a little bit concerned about is the forward line. Other than that, 
I think the team's playing extremely well. And to answer if this were Ben Olsen, would we be asking for his head? You know the answer to that question is yes, we'd be asking for his head right now. <laughs> you know this. I mean, that that was a ten, that was a 10-year project. If this were year 11, we'd be asking for his head right now. So, yes, yes, we, w- we would be asking for him to be fired right now. I mean, I would give fans this perspective. Would you rather be 2-5 and five with the style Ben has been playing for the past 10 years, or would you rather be 2-5 and five with what Hernan has been doing? Remember, when he got hired, I was the only one asking about defense because he plays with a three-man back. He asks his wingers to track back a lot. You know, he has his midfielders, especially those who play in the mid, in the center, you know, be box to box while one guy goes up top with the, the two main strikers. And like you've mentioned, the midfield and the strikers have been great. You know, Edison Flores looks great in just seven, eight matches with Hernan Lozada versus with the full year with Ben Olsen. Now, yeah, injuries has something to play with that. But at the same time, I can't help but look at just that player alone and see that this is already a plus. And that's why I look at it, and I don't even listen. You know, I listen to all our, you, all our uh, journalists uh, in the press box. I've heard their stuff, and I've read their articles. I don't think anybody's being friendly, but I do think that I like to – I want fans to think about it. Would you rather be getting those results that Ben used to get, playing very defensive, taking one or two shots, counterattack, getting – barely draws or scruffed out a win, or would you rather have these things where we're seeing Kevin Paredes coming out and playing like himself and not being the only attacker? Would you rather see Edison Flores have forcing himself to track back and basically run out of gas by the 60th minute? And just to give you an idea, you know, we, I talked about it earlier, her, Ola Kamara, I just looked at the 2021 MLS player salary. Ola Kamara is making 400K with 420 in incentives total if he makes those benchmarks. So he's making at least 420K. Adrian Perez comes in, he's making a base salary and a guarantee salary, actually, of 81000 And he's outperforming a guy making 420K. Like, that's got to be more concerning if I'm a fan. I'm looking at it because fans love spending other people's money. I'd be more concerned about the fact that we have this guy in old Kamara not producing, yet the dude we barely are paying, <laughs> we're not even getting close to 100K, is out producing him. Like, oh, this got to go. I understand fans' frustration. They want to see wins and they see the attack and play. But yeah, one thing fans do have right, and we'll get to Hernan's thoughts about it, is you create chances, but are they quality chances? You mentioned about the crosses, and sometimes there's not somebody at the end of it. This team has never been about those diagonal balls crossing the box with a big tall guy. If you, we've noticed, you know, a middle side barely what <laughs> five eight, you got. It. Edison Flores barely five seven five eight. Like we got, we don't got really that many tall attacking players outside of Paul, Paul Ariola. Like maybe Repressa when he comes in, that will be perfect. But I think that that is something that does need to change. 
you don't you, right now even Adrian Perez isn't tall enough to catch those crosses. No, no, he's not. But I mean, I love the fact that they're playing to to get to these crosses. But yeah, I think I think that's just what it is. It's everything that in the final third that's just lacking for DC United, and it's not something that that could be. It's something that still needs to be worked on. And so, also, Paul Riola's, uh Yamil Assad is listed as 5'10", so there's that. I stood next to him. He is not no 5'10". No, <laughs> no. With his hair, he's 5'11", but he ain't no 5'10". Like, yeah. He ain't no 5'10". No well, so they got Paul Riola listed at 5'6", and Edison Flores listed at 5'6". Paul is taller than taller. He's taller. He is taller than that. But... Instead of a hype battle here, let's get uh, Hernan Lozada's thoughts on last night's loss. When you create the chances, you have always opportunities to win games. Uh, And we have the chances. Uh, So um, it's about the right timing. It's about the right decision. It's about knowing that you have that extra second inside the box when the defenders are a little bit more stressy. And I, I can't I can't say anything wrong about the team who keeps on fighting until the end, but it's the same old story for the second time in a row. And it's frustrated, but on the other hand, I told to the players that it's only seven games, a lot of games and points to come, and that we need to reach that break, that international break with a, with a victory. That's Hernando Sada. Later on, he said DC United needs to give their lives to get three points in Miami. I, I don't know how you feel, Mario, but while I do think the match in Miami is important, I don't wish death on no one because <laughs> there ain't no coming back from that. Uh, <laughs> hey, man, I, I love the passion. I'll give it that. But I don't know if I'm willing to die to get three points in Miami in the month of May. Save that speech for the month of October when playoffs are in state are at stake. And this is me being silly, but I have to bring it up. You know, we don't – what is the record? We don't have to look this up, but I'm curious what is the record of teams going down to Miami because they're in in the NBA, teams tend to lose when they go to Miami, especially if there's a two-day break before they play Miami because they spend the whole time partying. I know DC United is – you know, I know it's COVID and all, but, you know, D.C. United. It's like the Miami on Memorial Day weekend, dude. Yeah, and then you have a two-week break afterwards, you know. I'm just saying I'm slightly concerned um, about this matchup. If it wasn't, you know, just the obvious, you know, a three-man back line. You didn't play. You played without Breon. No reason given. Um, will he even be ready for the match against Miami? I think I'd be more reliant on him than Heinz. Then you know, I I don't know. I I just think that Briant's more of a solid person in that back three. Maybe Pines to help because Miami's no joke up top. Like they're scoring goals and they're coming out with results. And I I I think it's going to be a challenge again for DC this upcoming week. Oh, absolutely. Not only that because it's Memorial Day weekend and you may be challenged to be on a boat sipping Mai Tai somewhere in Miami, but 
I think I think especially you're going to need Breon to start this game because you're going up against a really solid attack that's led by uh, Braun Strowman's Argentinian half brother Gonzalo Higuain, uh, and also you got Rodolfo Pizarro who's been playing pretty decently as of late. And right now, Miami is a team that's looking technically sound under Phil Neville. And so they're they're playing a little bit up to their potential. Even when they lose games, they look pretty decent. And they have a wild card in the name of Breck Shea. And if you're wondering, Breck Shea still in the league? The answer to that question is yes. Yes, Breck Shea is still in the league. And Breck Shea on a good day will ruin you. Just ask Cincinnati about a week ago. So, yeah, this should... This shouldn't be taken lightly, but I don't think that are not that giving your lives to win a game in Miami in the month of May should be the answer, non Losada. I'm sorry, but you know. But go out there and get to three points, definitely. Yeah, we shall see. And I only bring that up because it was you know, I don't think that you know, of all the talk about us as the media being soft with her and I think everybody Gave a double take when he said that. I think we all were like, uh, we know that they're trying to get to the, you know, they want to get to those, to get three points before the break. I totally understand that. You never know. So, yeah, I'm totally in favor of DC trying to go out and get these three points. Um, but, Coming from D.C., you know, another team that suffered a defeat real quickly was the Washington Spirit. On Friday night, they went, they traveled to Racing Louisville, got, had a two-goal defeat, a 2-0 defeat against uh, Louisville. Uh, similar short, similar to D.C., 10 shots, all saved by Michelle Be- Betos, the, who was the 2015 goalkeeper of the year for the NWSL. Um and overall, the Spirit had chances. <laughs> they just had chances. You know, we're going to quickly go through this because it was Friday. But, you know, Spirit had chances. They started up top with Ashley Sanchez, Trini Raman, and Kumi Yokihama. And then the second half, Ashley Hatch came in. She had a couple of chances. But they just couldn't score. You know, <laughs> they just couldn't score. At one point, I'm sitting there in the office just watching this game, going, can they ever score? And then suddenly, uh, Emina Ek takes a ball away from a spirit. Def- well, a spirit defender thought that she cleared the ball. It looked like it bounced off of Ek's hand. Referee did not review the play, but we digress. And then Ek just hit a beautiful curler into the net. She then helped lead a three-on-one three, three on one situation before uh, giving a nice pat, a quick pass to uh, Sissy Kaiser, who then scored it uh, past Blesso for the 2-0 victory. Uh, anything I should add on this one, Mario, that I didn't uh, already discuss? <laughs> no, I think the only thing that we're going with is, yeah, it's not been looking so hot first two games of the season for the Washington Spirit, especially considering all the firepower they have up front. Yeah, it's young firepower. I will say that, you know, uh, Trimmy Rahman had to leave it early, uh, late into the game. Uh, it looked like she was going to be taken via ambulance, um, but she wasn't. <laughs> Good thing. Um, we haven't gotten an update to her condition, but it looks to be an injured rib. 
Um, she's she's young. Hopefully, she'll you know get some time off. She did start, which is a good thing. Um, everybody had hoped to be able to see her on Wednesday at the Spirits' home debut against Houston at Segra Field. That match has been switched to back to Houston at BBA Compass Stadium. Why, you may ask? Well, the Spirit put out a statement from their ownership, essentially announcing that the home game is being switched to Houston due to con- the conditions at Segra Field. They are, quote, not compliant with these standards. The Spirit, in their statement, said that they had requested permission from DC United to play at Audi Field. The request was denied. Due to this decision, the game was moved to the Dash's home venue. Um, the managing owner and partner, Steve Baldwin, said in a statement, quote, we are very disappointed by this outcome and hope that the construction at Segra Field will be completed by our next match scheduled for the venue, unquote. Um, DC United did release a statement to WTOP uh, after the story broke. Um, quote, Segra officials have been working diligently to prepare the stadium for Washington's upcoming match on, uh, against the Houston Dash scheduled for May 26th. The stadium, which hosts both USL and Major League Rugby matches, was on track to comply with all NWSL stadium standards, despite a construction timeline severely hampered by the global pandemic. We agreed to move the move the match to Audi Field upon rec- uh, upon receipt of a request. From the spirit, we are disappointed by the decision to move the game to Houston. We look forward to welcoming Washington and their fans back to Segra on July 2nd and for years to come. That is DC United statement. The Washington Post has reported that what the request was was too much and too big um, that the spirit could not comply. Before we get all the shadiness, Mario, you've looked at these stories. You've seen the pictures. What are your thoughts about this whole debacle? I've seen playgrounds and Sunday League fields more completed than Segra Field. Also, remember when you're building a, a building, doesn't matter if it's a stadium, an apartment, an office building, make sure to install indoor plumbing before you start this kind of a project. Make sure you have that down back. Oh, man, going with everything, I'm kind of not surprised that Segra was not ready for to host an uh, NWSL game. Given all the construction, all the construction that's gone on, I think it's just disappointing that they're moving the game to Houston and you're denying the spirit a proper home opener for the season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a bad thing uh, when a team can't. It's a bad look. It, yeah, it's a bad look. And, I mean, for those who haven't seen the photos, you know, I can tell you because I've been there. There have been these weird former trailers, uh, moving trailers that you see on top of cargo boats that have been reformatted. They're supposed to become the new te- the new permanent locker rooms and bathrooms that are supposed to be constructed around the stadium. It was supposed to be, like, unique and supposed to make the stadium, like, oh, we're, this is totally recyclable and blah-dee-dah. And 
I hate to be that guy, but it's just going to make it look like crap. But they're already there. They're constructing. You know, you knew this was going to happen. I mean, for those who have been following this whole thing with Segura, they built it too fast. They still haven't even. They're still. The, the, they built it without plumbing. They built it without plumbing. Well, 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 they opened it without plumbing. The plan was always to be, uh, you know, a synthetic turf. It was never going to be grass. And so, because it's in the middle of the, nowhere, even though there's grass fields all over the place, this one had to be a turf field. Um, down the street, there, the, the, the new DC United training complex is there. And the... The less said, the better. At least, at least it's going up. That's all we can say right now. But to me, it's like everyone should have saw this coming because we were there, and I say we, media members, were there for the fall series of NWSL games. There were three. Two of them were uh, – three. Uh, two, two, oh, excuse me. Three of them were played at Segra. I went to one of them. I had to hike across the street to go use the bathroom. And I know that there's members of the Spirit Squadron that they were there, they weren't allowed in the building, but they had to also, you know, they were there outside the building cheering their team on, but they were, I know they also had to make the same hike as I did uh, just to find a Porta John so they could use the bathroom. That's it. How is there currently rugby and USL games being played? Like, if the Spirit are saying they were not going to be playing that, and and here's the thing. I don't know what DC Knight was wait, expecting. This is an ownership that says they want to be the best club in the world, and you don't give them a locker room. They want permanent locker rooms. What were you thinking? If you know the construction is behind, just make them play all their games at, at Audi this year until you have everything 100%. You're not going to get that done by July. You're just not. No, and yeah, you're you're infringing on the spirits' uh, plans of world domination here. That's a bad look altogether. Like, especially considering when you're saying you're going to have this done by a certain time frame, and you've already played a rugby league game and an Allowing United game there this season. It's just a bad look. I think I think you hit the nail on the. On the on the head here, on the nail on the head here, you might as well just let him play at Audi for for the most part for for the entire season because yeah, Segra's not ready and given by the photos and everything else that needs to be done to make Segra game ready, it's not going to be done until probably the end of the year. Yeah, I just don't see it. I'm, I, I mean, we've seen the photos. For those who haven't seen any of these photos, you can check. Neil Augustine, you can check from WTOP. You can check Stephen Golf from the Washington Post. Mario even referenced, uh, uh, I think your name is Katie, or who, who really started this back earlier in the month, who just some random fan who said, who was doing what we were all doing when Audi was being constructed, really, drove by and said, let me see how the construction is going. Oh, my God, this is crap. <laughs> this is like, this literally, <laughs> like, they're literally awesome. not, the fan's name is Jess. Uh, you can find her at underscore Jalen, all lowercase underscore fourteen on Twitter. She has she has some of the original photos up, uh, her photos up for from the from what Segra's looking like. And yeah, 
It's looking like garbage. Well, right. essentially, it's for those who don't have the time. Essentially, they're still in the phase of where they're plugging in plumbing. So they're they're digging ditches. They're making the connections. That that takes a bit. But they have all these, like I said, these shipping containers that are already reformatted. Apparently, they already have the bathrooms installed in there. It's just, you know, they have the toilets in. They have the fountains in there. They have the drains in there. It's just connecting pipes and stuff. So that's why they think they're going to have this done in a month. But I was there. I was part of the team that helped open Audi Field. And let me tell you, it was a scary sight. We had Friday, the day before Audi opened, I was scared for people's safety because we only had half the building approved for people to be in. And we opened it up for people to come in. And I... And, and then game day, just barely at 8 a.m., they got the final approval from the city. And I was still scared for people to come in because there was still sawdust in places. There was random nails and hammers still in places. Uh, we found a sodding iron. Somebody found a sodding iron just, like, laying there. You know, it was like it was a, still a construction site. And so you're talking about you're going to put players – in an area, and, and DC and I said they would have met the standards. I haven't looked up the stadium standards, but from what I understand, it's a permanent locker room. That joint better have showers and better have where these players can take showers after games, come in and get dressed. If it don't, ha- if none of these tubes that they're adding into this stadium have that, it's not ready to go. So for me, this this whole thing is a mess. I don't trust it. And if I'm DC United, I just looked at the calendar. July 2nd, Spirit Play, you have nothing going on in Audi. But July 3rd, you have a home game with DC United. Can you have back-to-backs? You do it with the lacrosse. You do it with lacrosse. You sure as heck do it when they're friendlies in the area and you give the, the, the traveling team Audi to practice it and then you have a home game. I don't see why you couldn't have a Spirit game the day before or heck, do let's just go old school. Let's have a classic uh, double soccer double double header. Let's do the double yeah. header. I'm, so header. I'm so for that idea right there. Brings me back to nostalgia. Remember the old Washington Spirit? Remember the Washington Spirit when they used to be the Washington Freedom? You can watch them in a double header RFK with DC United. Why can't we do the same thing in 2021 with the Washington Spirit and DC United? I'm just not confident that thing is gonna open. I'm just not. Maybe this time I'm optimistic DC Knight will score goals, but I'm not optimistic to say Segra's going to open on time. I, I, I'm just I'd saying. Say we'll score five goals before Segra opens on time for Spirit Gates, at the very least. No, I put this out on Twitter, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to bring it up just quickly here before we move on to our final topic. I reached out to sources within the team. Um, no one knew that when the spirit request was sent, but I can be tell you that the operations team were ready up to Monday of last week about a possible move, meaning that this was percolating within the club that there was a possibility that there there would have been a game at Audi Field this Wednesday. I ultimately, I have no idea. Stephen Gall from the Washington Post of his story said that there were promises that the Spirit have to make that going forward they would be 
playing at Segra, like, I guess, like, if I had to guess, like, more matches at Segra than at Audi, and the Spirit said they just can't do that, I can totally understand, because if I'm the Spirit, I'm looking at it as, like, I need more games that could be played at home, and I'm already losing one game. If I have to make a promise just so I can get Audi for one game, in the future, what are you going to make me do? And if I'm the spirit, I want to keep a contract where I'm loose enough where I can still have the majority of my matches at Audi. Yeah, you're trying to retrofit, make Sagra this nice place or whatever, but I don't want, it's not even to the spirit's style because they like grass and, and it allows them to play that fluid attacking style. And also, shipping containers, man. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Until me, I'm a person, I got to see it. The only thing I don't I believe in not seeing but believe in it is Jesus. Outside of that, uh, I, like I gotta see it to believe it. I don't know. Shipping containers work in flight club. I don't think they work for stadiums. To be honest with you, but we'll keep an eye on it. The spirit, like we said, will be playing Wednesday. We'll we'll hopefully have a better recap of a game this time around. Uh, we kind of went quickly because we were both, you know, out of town still doing all that stuff. I did watch the match, but it felt, you know, this was the bigger important topic, what's going on in Sagra. Because we lost our home opener. For what? Incompetence. Unpreparedness. Anyway. Unpreparedness. Yeah. Unpreparedness and incompetence. You gotta, you gotta hate it. Exactly. Speaking of incompetence, the yearly of incompetence of the U.S. men's national team, they are back. Uh, what? I'm saying nothing wrong. They somehow made it to the, the, nation, the CONCACAF Nation League Final Four and just oh, announced. Win, win, winner of the tournament gets control of the, uh, the uh, Panama Canal and an undisclosed amount of money in a briefcase. Well, we know that there will be money. We just don't know what the trophy is. Uh, they will, the, the United States will take on um, Costa Rica, Honduras, and Mexico as far as the Final Four. Um, and we got our roster. You can find it online. Just some quick highlights here. David Ochoa, who's pissed off everyone in MLS minus me. He's on the, on the goalkeeper <laughs> roster. Um, Zach Steffen after winning a uh, Premier League without by just playing one match. He's on this roster. Then the defense, Sergio Dask is here. Reggie Cannon is back. Um, Matt Miazga, who's playing well with Anderlecht, is in as well. Tim Ream, who just got relegated. Somehow he was upgraded to playing with the U.S. national team. Sweet. Can we stop here for a second? How on earth does Tim Ream continue to get call-ups? It is absolutely to be the Ellen is back after playing at Galatasaray. In the midfield, we have uh, Sebastian Leggett, one of the few MLSers still on the team on, on this roster specifically. Weston McKenney, who after a good after being, you know, this is first match this is first time with the national team after his loan made was made official that they were bought out they bought out his loan. So he'll be at Juventus for a while. Yusa Musa decided not to run away from the men's national team and is coming back for his fifth cap. Uh, Jackson Yule, after getting his butt whipped in Mexico, he's here. Um, hey, don't forget, he recently recon reconnected with his father, Eric Williamson, when they played Portland last week. Yep. Um, Gio Reyna is healthy. He's up there with strikers as well. <laughs> uh, what? I mean, him and Tim Weah. Wow, they're healthy. Tim Weah just won a French championship with with Lil and Josh Sargent. And Josh Sargent, 
healthy. So yeah. And also Josh Sargent got relegated by Berter Bremen this weekend, so but healthy. What? <laughs> and of course, Christian Pulisic made it here. He will probably make it here on a private flight after possibly winning the Champions League on Saturday with Chelsea. Either him or Zach Steffen are gonna be talking trash to to one to one of to one of them or to each other after the Champions League final. Yeah. Um Mara, anything that stands out to you, me personally, I do I do think it's good to see Gio back. Um, you know, we haven't had you know, we've we had him in and out because of injuries. I, I personally can't wait to see him. I love having DeAndre Yevlin on any USMT roster. I think he adds something to the back that, you know, reminds me a little bit of when um, Marcus Beasley played back there. Steady when you need him to be defensively, but can provide much more in attack. Um, he adds a little bit of that. And, you know, I've been hard on Ethan Horvath. Um, but, you know, if we're going to bring David Ochoa, we need a solid number two. And I think Ethan Horvath is a solid number two. And I just want Zach Steffen to get minutes, man. Like, I, I don't know what he's got to do, but he's not going to get minutes at Manchester City. And we're going to have that discussion again of would you rather have a starting goalkeeper who's playing matches or one that's on the bench but on a really good team, you know, I just feel like he's been really cold, and I want to see him play matches. But, you know, those are topics for when the season starts back up. But, you know, what are your thoughts on the roster overall? Uh, first off, I'm glad to see DeAndre back, uh, Yedlin back on a USMT roster. I think he, for the most part, what I've gotten, he's done really well at Galatasaray, and he's stepped it up a lot. Uh, I'm glad to see that Gio Reyna, Timothy Weah, and Josh Sargent are healthy for uh, this time around. Uh, it's also pretty nice to see Kellen Acosta back in a uh, in a USMT uh, uh, call-up or in a setup with the USMT. Uh, but I think that you need a little more experience. I think that's one of those things that are lacking. Yeah, Tim Ream is a veteran of sorts. Uh, DeAndre Yedlin's been at it a little more. You could consider him a veteran. But I feel like you need much more veteran presence that have done this before in the midfield and in the attack. And, man, I got to ask, what does Michael Bradley and Josie Altidore have to do to get a call from Greg Berhalter? Yeah, that's the only thing that's bothering me. And we've discussed this off the podcast. It's just I'm always curious, are we bringing too little of one than the other? In this case, back in the day when you had either Klinsman or, or Arena, heck, even sometimes – I feel like only Bob really had that perfect blend of youth players on form and veterans. I feel like Bob was the only one that ever got that mix correctly. Whereas I feel like in this case, we got a lot of guys that are unproven. If, if one looks at, you know, just looks at the roster, you have a lot of single digit caps or, you know, <laughs> you got Ethan Horvath, four caps, you got, you got Ocho at none. And then you got guys with less than 15, you know, Josh Sargent, you know, Timothy Weah, Chio Reyna. You got guys that haven't been, had that much experience, but they're playing with bigger teams. I, I just hope that people are seeing this like, yeah, I like the fact that more youth has been involved. But when you're going into like this case, I'm looking at this as a mini Copa America or a Gold Cup. And so... 
it's going to be a similization, a sim, a sim to what we're going to see at the Gold Cup and at the World Cup and at World Cup qualifying. So we need to. What you're going to need is some veterans. You know, the fact that we have John Brooks, that's a good thing for the back line because I think, and yet he's healthy because I think he provides some stability. Zach Steph, of what I said earlier, I want to see him in more matches. He has experience being the starter for the U.S. men's team, national team. That's a good thing. For all the things we just said about poor Tim Ring, he's got 42 caps. And so it's not, he knows, but he at least, for you shaking your head, he at least knows how to get the job done in CONCACAF. I feel like there should be more veteran voices on this team than there currently is. But then again, who do you drop? And so I love this team, but at the same time, I wish that there were some spots or heck, if we could pull a Mighty Ducks, two D2 Mighty Ducks, and just call someone to be an assistant coach uh, just to sit on the sideline to provide that extra strength, you know, no club is going to let their player go if they're doing nothing. But, you know, I'm just saying it would be good to just have that veteran leadership that can, you know, guide these players. Like, I love Christian Pulisic, but he was just there for a cup of coffee in the last qualifying round. So I, I would love for him to see someone else. And, you know, I know some people are going to hate me for this, but it would be good to have a Michael Bradley, even if he's on his final legs or a Julie Altador. The man screams captain from this team. So just saying. I mean, yeah, you, you want to have that veteran presence, especially guys that have been there before in CONCACAF qualifying. Because if you are, if you know anything about CONCACAF qualifying or playing games in CONCACAF in general, God knows they, those are not easy matches to play in. And, yes, definitely. Yeah, and also the other question I have is, do you play Wonderwall to David Ochoa so he get constant, so he get ready? See, you you want to continue these jokes? I just love that he's you know he's fired, but in any event. Uh, June 3rd, the United States will take on Honduras. There'll be a couple of friendlies that will not involve them, some players on this roster. But this is the roster that will go in against Honduras and then the winner of Mexico versus Costa Rica. Everything will be played in Denver because COVID. <laughs> uh, Mara is there a player we should all look out for? Or what are you looking forward to uh, heading into these, these two matches? Please beat Honduras. Let's let's go with that. You can't do it in the Olympic in the Olympic qualifiers. Do it in the in this. But no, I expect these games to be tough because Honduras, for the most part, are a really good, are a really solid team and tend to play really well against the United States. I think Mexico's coming in as the complete favorite, and I think the player that could probably end up shining, and this is probably a no brainer, and everybody expects to give this answer is going to be Christian Pulisic. I think he he he'll, he'll be he'll he'll be the one to look for to lead the bat to lead the forward line for the United States going into the into these games, and I think uh, also another guy that should be definitely one to look out for should be Tyler Adams to give some kind of stability in the midfield. He showed it at Red Bull Leipzig this season. He's shown it in his uh, caps with the USMT. I think I think yeah I think he will be the one that you'll look for for more of a stability a stability role in the midfield. No, I'm just interested to see this overall and see where this team is going. 
my, you know, my concerns are going to really come in. You know, this is just some weird made-up tournament, so they don't play big friendlies and allows these other CONCACAF nations a chance to play games against the big boys that they oftentimes can't afford to play because they can't schedule to play Mexico, the U.S. that often because of the money situations with their countries. However, you know, I would, I, I'm looking forward to see the youth uh, match rate at this point. Now, now we've got to see them build and get ready for these turn for these next qualifying matches, you know, where they're going to have some dates, three matches in them. So there's going to be a lot of tired legs. So they got to get used to seeing certain faces like Honduras, Mexico, Costa Rica. So I think that this is going to be a good test. The Gold Cup coming up after this is going to be an excellent test. I am interested in how the striking tends to work. Unlike previous years, we have strikers. I think Brendan Harrison, he's had a good showing at Red Bull uh, Salzburg. I want to see him up top, maybe with Pulisic. Um, and Gio Reyna, he's, he smells a little Landon Donovan-esque, a little bit Clint Dempsey-esque. It's like he's got the chip on his shoulder being, you know, what's going on in his family, a story that was written by uh, Grant Wall over at uh, SI about his family situation and what it means for him to be playing on the national team outside of his father. But also... He had a chip on the shoulder because he came in with some fans calling him the one. I think that he just wants to shut up and play. You know, it's you know we see that with Christian Pulisic. He's like, I want to play more. I want to play more. And you see that a little bit with Gio as well. So I want to see them both play. And heck, even Josh Sargent, we're roasting him for the fact that Werner Brenham got you know relegated, but he. I want to see him play as well. Get some minutes. It's now getting stacked. I wish that we had some of these strikers back before the 2010 World Cup, but I digress. Uh, real quick before we head out of here, for all the conspiracy theorists that say media don't cover everything, uh, we as media members are going to uh, cover this. The U.S. Soccer U.S. Soccer announced late last night that it is ending its relationship with some marketing that is Soccer United marketing, basically at the MLS owners, uh, and bringing their commercial and TV rights in-house when the deal expires in 2022. This means that the MLS and U.S. soccer partnership is no more. They Their media rights won't be tied together. You know, for more macro-level stuff, you can probably find that on The Athletic, but Mario, just like quickly thoughts on this and the end of well, I would say financially is a good relationship, but <laughs> externally on social and the soccer world is another story. Um, I think, yeah, it sucks that their financial partnership ends. Well, given everything that's gone on with with just some media and and MLS at, the exter- at external levels outside of the financial realm, yeah, this breakup is necessary. And on top of that, hey... If U.S. soccer wants to take its own, their own direction going forward, doing all their marketing stuff in house, they had they're they're capable of doing that. I, I, me, look, we we had two lawsuits. You know, the Athletic mentioned the the N, the NASL lawsuit. I'm thinking more the women's lawsuit now. Like, the women want to see how much money they can make outside of U.S. soccer. I, I'm tempted to see now, okay, 
let's see what the potential is. Can you get a deal with somebody else outside of that? And so I, I want to see what the women can govern. I can tell you this, the way that the women tend to be covered, where we won't have any more matches on Univision <laughs> unless they're tied in with the men deal. I love having the women's matches on Univision, but I don't know what the ratings are. Um, and and I don't know if they're going to do it like, like they currently have it, the way they have it with MLS is, you know, it's based on how many MLS matches you have. And so you got games on Univision and Fox and ESPN. I wonder if they really opened it up. You know, we just had NBC lose hockey. They still have the Premier League. It would be cool to see some soccer matches returned there. They had a cup of coffee with you, some USMT games back when the MLS rights were there. So it would be good to maybe see that or heck, you know, maybe a uh, Turner sports, which have recently got back in the game with HBO. It would be interested. They were interested in wanting to get this. And then technically do we get some CBS sports would be some, uh, would be really interesting to see if they carry some of the games as well. I mean, they already covered the CONCACAF package. Right, and then on top of that, they've got Champions League and they have the NWSL rights. Right, and I'm just speaking in, in terms of the women now. In terms of the men, uh, you know, I think that regardless, that's going to always be more money. We, we we hear about it all the time about, you know, the Mexico-U.S. game is a lot of money. They probably could farm that out just like as its own game. But I am I'm just interested in that aspect. Also, maybe... And this would be random, you know, but wouldn't be surprising, you know, if the shirt deals are going to be different now, you know, the men and the women, if they're not going to be all Nike, if they, you know, maybe the men want to go Puma, who knows? <laughs> the women want to go Puma, you know, whatever gives them more money. I think we're going to see less of the Nabisco uh, player uh, on, on the Ritz Cracker Box because the sponsors Nabisco at MLS – uh, I do think we're going to start seeing more deals and more money maybe for the Federation. I wonder what it'll do for the NW, the NASL. That's Division Two. that kind of doesn't really exist anymore, but whatever. Lawsuit. But, uh, yeah, more money for the leagues, we shall see. But MLS says they're, they, they want to still, you know, some is going to be working on their Super League idea with, they got Mickey's, and I don't mean like a Super League. They're trying to do what is that terrible tournament they have now? Uh so they've got the league. Oh, I forgot the League of oh, Champions. I have this now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I found the magical list. Some will pivot to their other priorities, according to the Athletic. Here you go, MLS, the League Cup, a tournament between the Liga Mickey's and MLS teams. MLS Next, a MLS-run youth developmental system. Uh, that replaces the U.S. Soccer Developmental Academy. Uh, boost MLS properties as they negotiate a new rights deal. That could also include a new MLS Reserve League. And they also have the commercial, media, and sponsorship partnership with the Mexican Federation and CONCACAF, respectively. So... Let's just say this. The MLS owners aren't crying much about this. I mean, it sucks. You want to have that in your back pocket. But essentially, U.S. soccer has uh, some some marketing 
has become Traffic. And for those who remember Traffic, Traffic used to own all these properties and media properties. Throwback. But then they went to jail for it because they were doing some illegal scamming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I digress. Um, But, uh, you know, they're in charge, and that's why you see more Mexican matches on NBC Sports Network and on Fox. And I think they do have those lovely connections that, you know what, let's be honest, kind of better for these leagues versus, you know, how traffic had it in pay-per-view and gold TV. Once, tra- once traffic decided to go, once they got everybody from traffic in jail, that was the end of gold TV. But yeah, I think for the most part, I, I don't think anybody's going to cry foul on both ends when it comes to the financial aspect. Because, well, you got you, you got a good amount of money in the in your art in your arcs where you you're like, all right, fine, we can work on our own projects now and go forward with whatever ideas we have, good or bad. Yep, but that's enough for our ideas because we're fresh out of them and we're really tired. So that'll be enough for us. So Mario, tell the people where they can find you. All right. If you want to find out what I'm doing, my latest articles and my latest interviews, or if you just really want to see what I'm up to in my personal life, follow me on Twitter at MarioMaya1. You want to see what El Tiempo Latino is doing? You can follow them on Twitter too, at El Tiempo Latino. You want to read it, our articles about everything that's going on in the DMV or the world. You can go to their website, eltiempolatino.com. And if you want to line more money in my pocket so I could up my shoe game, you could buy, you could go get you your newspaper, a physical newspaper at your local newsstands and metro stations today. And you can also find out more content on the sportspost.com. Thank you for tuning in to the Battle Bricks FC podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jose underscore M underscore Mana for more. Special shout out as always is Kevin McLeod and Patek for the music at the intro and outro. Remember, rate and subscribe as always on Anchor, Spotify, and all your audio platforms. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you soon. Adios.